Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. Hebrews 3, 12 to 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting them to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Thanks, Nat. Uh, join me in prayer as we uh, dig into God's word today. Uh, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for uh, who you are. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the person and the work of Jesus that through your word we can really know uh, the depths of your character. Lord, we pray that you help us see you in the word. Help me preach with clarity. Help us to see um, with uh, with open hearts and open minds. Uh, Spirit, have your way in us today. Uh, We need you to move because we cannot do anything on our own. Uh, we always pray that uh, you help us do everything that you've commanded us to do. And we pray that you help us to be not just hearers of the words, but doers of the words. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, again, I'd like to extend my welcome again. My name's Andrew, one of the elder candidates here. Um, we're in the middle of a sermon series. We, we haven't really got a, a great title for it. It's, it's called uh, Disciplines for a Fruitful 2019. We, I thought we were going to come up with some, something way more catchy than that, but we're, gonna, we're just going to roll with that. So um, It's interesting that uh, we're starting with this particular kind of sermon series for the start of the year because, um, as you be- I don't know if you can believe it, it we are two-thirds of the way through January. How, how crazy is that? <laughs> I feel like New Year's was just yesterday, or Christmas was just yesterday, and then someone told me, like, dude, we're halfway through January today. I'm like, no, and oh, wait, we are. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, do people here do New Year's resolutions? Any New Year's resolutions people? Kind of, a few people. That's okay. I, like, when I, I've, whenever I ask this question, people are always kind of hesitant and reluctant to ask, say, like, man, I, I'm doing a New Year's resolution this year because they, they will say, like, man, if I'm, if I'm doing a resolution, I'm just going to do it. It doesn't matter what time of the year it is. I'll just do it, right? <laughs> I don't need a new year. Um, and I, if you know anything about me, I'm a physiotherapist. So, so in, the, in the area where I work in, there's a gym actually upstairs from me. So come January, every year, every come January, um, I've noticed this pattern of the last five or six years now that I've been working there, that the first Saturday morning of the year is the car park is jammed. <laughs> it is absolutely jammed. I get there to work, I start work at eight o'clock. These, these, these guys are there, I don't, know, I don't know when they've been there, they come out full of swear, they, 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 it's jammed, I can't get a car park. And then the next week happens and maybe I find my car park before 8 a.m. and there's a few less cars and then Sure enough, this week was not as many cars. (laughs) Not as many cars. And ironically, as the weeks go on and on and on, and at the physio physio clinic I see, I actually start to see more injuries. More injuries from the gym. (laughs) And it's probably got to do with, like, 
gym, uh, poor, poor form, overloading, poor adaptation, poor training load management, that kind of stuff. And you see this number actually rise from in January, and I'm actually starting to see it right now. I've, I've already had a few like Achilles tendinopathies have happened come up, and it's, 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 it's really, really interesting. But many people, when they think about news resolutions, they think about this thing about going to the gym, right? Or, or some sort of like discipline like, like that, because why, why not start then, right? And interestingly, um, when I think about this, I'm a little bit embarrassed to say, but I'm not a, a huge gym person. But I tried this year to say, like, okay, I'm going to try gymming this year. I've gymmed twice and I haven't been since. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it's hard. Like, resolutions are hard, man. Like, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm like, doesn't mean, just because I look like skinny doesn't mean that I can't, I can't wreck people at the physio. I can still definitely do that. Like, I don't need to be strong to do that, so. But anyway, as we start in 2019 this year, um, as we go into this series of, like, um, of disciplines for a fruitful 2019, yes, we want people to start the year off well, not just by going to the gym, and uh, even though I would encourage you, please, please exercise, please steward the body that God has given you. That's actually a good thing, right? But more importantly, as a church, I want us to develop and cultivate disciplines for a more Fruitful 2019. I'm, I'm super pumped about this particular uh, sermon series, as you can tell by my ecstatic face right now. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm not just pumped for the, for the content, but for the things that God is going to do in and through His people and in this church. Um, Tyler sent me a, a tweet a couple of weeks ago, um, and uh, just as a reminder, just to encourage me, and it was from a guy named Samuel James, and his quote said this. I believe in the expulsive power of a new affection, but I also believe in the effective power of a new habit. The feelings of change do not always precede the practices of change. Sometimes they follow it, and many times they come with it. All the disciplines that we've looked at so far and will continue to look at, uh, we, I, I hope in this particular series, is it will be used by God and by us to fan into flame the gift of God, as it says in 2 Timothy. A few weeks ago, Josh Ridley talked about the discipline of financial stewardship and gospel generosity, and, um, and he gave us some really, really good practical principles of money management. Last week, Simon Jackson talked about and expanded on the peace and perspective of of prayer and its power to orient our hearts and our minds when, to the work and person of Jesus Christ, especially in times of anxiety and trouble. And today's discipline that I'd like to talk about is the discipline of belonging and participating in the body of Christ. The discipline of belonging and participating in the body of Christ. And I reckon this discipline really could be split up into four to five sermons at the very least. We could probably do a Holman sermon series on this, but don't worry, I'm not going to go for four hours. I'll go for about 40 minutes, hopefully, today. Um, but before I get started, I am, it is, it is, the irony is not lost on me that I'm in a church right now preaching about being a part of a church to people already in a church participating in it. You might feel that's a bit redundant, right? And that irony is not lost on me. And although we need, all we need, need reminding of the gospel and how central it is to our lives, we also need to be reminded the means by which God has given us to help us keep the, the gospel essential. The means that God has given us to shape and mold the clay that is our hearts. The means that which God has graciously given us so that we're not just floundering in our faith, but as branches attached to vine Jesus, that we would bear much fruit. 
So, discipline of belonging and participating in the, in, in the, in the body of Christ. Leads me to our text that we read today from, um, from Hebrews 3 and 10. Can someone just grab me a quick glass of water? That would be great, thank you. Um, our, our text in uh, Hebrews 3 and 10. Um, What's the writer of Hebrews talking about in our two readings today in Hebrews 3? If you don't know anything about Hebrews, here's just a quick overshot. Hebrews was a sermonic letter, right, written by an anonymous person right, to people. Uh, some people think it's Paul, but we don't really actually know. But it's, it was written to a bunch of Hebrews, uh, and, and to the early church, to early Christian, Jewish Christians, to remind them of the glory and the worth of Christ, that he is greater than all beings, that he is greater than all mediators and all priests, and that he is greater than all old religious and sacrificial practices. And as such, in that letter, these Jewish Christians were encouraged to persevere in their faith and find their rest and hope in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Thank you. So when the author of Hebrews gives these two exhortations found in Hebrews 3 and 10, it's pretty straightforward. In Hebrews 3, the author is telling the readers to check themselves in terms of what are they actually putting their belief in? What are they putting their hope in? And he's also mutually encouraging, he's encouraging them to mutually encourage one another. And the context of this particular passage in, in, in Hebrews 3 suggests that it's the author's talking to those who are kind of leaning away from the faith, leaning away from their dependence and belief in the hope of, in the living God, or those who are really struggling in their faith, that you should come to the body of Christ and be exhorted. And this is huge for us. This is huge for us because it is an admission that all of us can struggle with our faith. It is, it is huge because the, the author, he knows that you can struggle with your faith, and it's okay. But he's, he's exhorting, he's asking us, if you're struggling with your faith, if you're finding it, having a hard time with your faith, if you're finding your hope and rest in something other than the work of Jesus Christ, you can come to, your, to God's people. You're not the first Christian to have this problem. And, and, and the thing is, God knows that. That's so encouraging. We don't, have to, we, don't, we don't have to front with God. He knows that. And conversely, in, in Hebrews 10, the author is telling the readers to consider how to stir one another to love and good works. To love and good works. The writer here is telling those believers to look out for those on the fringes of the faith, right? And instructs them to, 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 to consider how to, to push them towards love, to push them towards Christ, and to push them towards good works. But the author doesn't necessarily tell them how to do it. What does he say? He tells them to what? Consider, to brainstorm, to reflect, to envisage. And the only way you can consider or, to, or brainstorm is how, how do you do this for a person? It's, it's only if you know the person, right? It's only if you know that person. You know them deeply. You know their needs. You know their struggles. You know their weaknesses. You know them beyond the, the superficial, the, beyond the, the three-minute conversation between worship finishing and then announcements. 
And that might hit hard for some of us, but I'll be real with you. Sometimes I have days where I need to be, I need to be sanctified and changed in this myself. And the thing we see in these, both these exhortations is that there is urgency in these exhortations, in both of them. In Hebrews 3, it says, as long as it is called today. In Hebrews 10, it says, we need to do it all the more as you see the day drawing near. In Hebrews 3 and 10, in these two exhortations, there is this massive weightiness that is attached to how and when we should be encouraging each other to grow in our holiness and to lean into the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we just celebrated Advent um, with, with, with the, first coming of, the coming, first coming of Jesus, and we are in the time between the second Advent, the second coming of Jesus. Right? And the instruction for us is to what? To exhort each other each day. Today. So whether or not we, whether or not we're the ones that are struggling, right, or the we're the ones that we see a brother or sister in need and who, who needs uh, who needs help and needs exhortation, whether it be spiritual or physical, whether we need to be exhorted or the one that needs to do the exhorting, we need to actively participate in the body. When today, Scripture is super clear on that. So you might be wondering, how do I participate in this body, Tran? Well, I'm glad you asked. The way I see it in Scripture is that God has given us three communal ways to actively participate in the body. And we could, I'm going to spend most of our time, the bulk of our time here, as I said, we could do an entire sermon series on this. But the three things, the three communal ways that God has given us to participate in the body go like this. The corporate gathering... The sacraments and fellowship. I'll say that again. The corporate gathering, sacraments, and fellowship. Man, you might be wondering, I do, uh, like, these headings sound like they're kind of, they're kind of intermixed and there's a bit of overlap. But stay with me. Absolutely, there is definitely overlap here, but stay with me for a bit. Um, the corporate gathering. What do, what do I mean by the corporate gathering? I mean the Sunday service, the Sunday gathering. It's interesting to note that coming together itself is actually a means of grace. Have you, thought, have you ever thought about that? Coming together is actually a means of grace that God has given to us. And it, it, it ties in significantly with fellowship, but we'll discuss that a bit later. But God knows that we can't do the Christian life on our own. There is no such thing as the Christian Rambo or the Christian John McClane or the Christian Harrison Ford in any movie that he's been in. We cannot do the Christian life alone. And yes, God has given us His Spirit, but He has also gifted us with the church. And to some of us, this seems kind of obvious, right? But both experience and Scripture tells us otherwise. Like it says in Hebrews 10, it instructs us to not neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some. You know, because things change in 2,000 years, right? But... Let's just think about this. God has given us the corporate gathering, and we should really consider what privilege, what kind of a privilege it is for us, especially in our context in Australia, that we've been gifted this gift to meet so freely. I don't, I don't think we fully grasp the, how, how amazing it is, the privilege for us to meet freely, because... It, Talk to, a, talk to a Christian in Syria or talk to a Christian in North Korea or talk to a Christian in, un, in underground church China. Can, they, they, would, they would 
I would say kill, but they're not going to kill because they're Christians. So they, they, would, they would do almost anything to have a, a sliver of what we have. A sliver. And we take it so for granted. Uh, we, we talked about in Acts uh, a couple of weeks back, and we'll get back to into Acts in a few weeks, but we talked about in Acts the, about the early church that um, uh, we should not see the gathering as some sort of uh, utility to get something. We, in terms of, let's say, a worship or a message. Yes, the gathering enables worship, like songs and, and a message, but it is not a means to something. It is a means of itself. It is a means of grace in itself. I'm going to put it this way. If you were handed a season pass to your favorite footy team, a season pass to your favorite footy team, to go and sit in with the crowd for the entire season. I can sure bet you that pretty much most of us, if not 100% of us, would rather watch it there than on the TV. Are you going to revel amongst the crowd or sit there alone? I'm pretty sure Tom Cole would testify that he would get amongst the crowd, right? No, Tom? No? Where is he? Yep, there we go. Gathering as the body is a reminder that we aren't alone. We aren't alone. And physically doing that is so much more encouraging than simply intellectually knowing that. Doing that physically is so much more encouraging than intellectually knowing that. And within the discipline of the corporate gathering, we are able to sing to each other. And not just sing to God, it's, I mean, it's, no, it's no less than singing to God, but we get to actually sing to each other. And it's, it's, I find it really funny that in Ephesians 5, Paul instructs us to address each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's, that's really odd, don't you think? Until you experience it for yourself, I would, I would argue, until you experience it for yourself. One of my favorite, for favorite moments from last year I remember standing in that little pew just right there. And I remember, I don't remember the exact context of the week, but I just had a, a hard week. And I don't know if it's this, this room or the reverberation or whatever it is, but there was a moment here when we were singing, and I mean, we, we generally sing it, we generally pump the, music, the volume loud. In fact, we get complaints that it's too, it's too loud, that I understand, but we... I remember sitting there and just hearing the voices of the congregation and the music declaring about the goodness of God. And it's, it did, I don't know what it is, but it did something here, something emotive. And because when we sing, something happens here. In that moment, God comforted my soul with the songs of his people singing about him. When we sing, this emotive thing happens for him, and it stirs our affections for him. And hearing it, hearing that stirring happen amongst my brothers and sisters here reminds me that God's not just working my life, but he's at work in all of us. And you're thinking, man, you might be thinking, Tran, man, you, don't, you know what I'm going to sing, bro. Like, I can't sing. I, I, can't even, I don't want to even sing in the shower. That's how bad it is. Right? You, you think, like, man, I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to encourage someone. I'm going to discourage someone. And then they're, they're going to leave the faith, bro. Like, that's, that's, that's how bad it is. But I just want to gently rebuke you in Jesus' name. And, and, and seriously, like, consider, consider this. 
Like, if you want a, if you want a, a bit of an uplift, I'm not, I love Mariah Carey, but please, Google up Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You from the Rockefeller Center in 2014. If you can get the vocal isolated version, oh my gosh, you can sing. <laughs> you can definitely sing. And I love Mariah Carey. I have that on replay on like Christmas all the times. You can sing. And you can encourage people with that singing. And then in the corporate gathering, there is the preaching of the word, like what we're doing right now. Um, in Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, it says this, God gave the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And an important aspect of corporate worship is the building up of the church. And, and Tim Keller says that through the preaching of the word, sanctification, sanctification can happen on the spot. And you and I all know this. If you're a Christian, I would dare argue that you, would, you know this. Because at some point in time, you would, have heard, you, would have, you would have heard the word and either God gently nudge you or God hit you like a freight train. God can change you on the spot through the preaching of his word. And he uses the Holy Ghost to push against you. And although teachers are fallible, we all have examples of, we have examples, all of the scriptures of preachers preaching the word and disciples submitting themselves to the word, to the teaching that God has given them. Now, I just want to take a breather for a second about the corporate gathering. Because I know that for some of us, this, the corporate gathering can kind of seem tiring. We can get bored with it. We can get antiquated with it. We can become slack and we can find reasons to skip it. The discipline of the corporate gathering on a Sunday means that we shouldn't see it as a burden but really as a joy. And I really, I, I really want to labor this point a lot because Christians here in the West, us in the West, we've, we've generally become really complacent with this, I think. Christianity has become so convenient with endless podcasts and streams and streams of worship music. And society has, society has conditioned us to do what is easiest, do what is most convenient. And as much as I love podcasts, like I listen to Matt Chandler on a weekly basis, I love that guy. But as much as he's given us podcasts and, and worship music, no doubt that is a gift of God's grace in itself. But God wants God instructs us to gather as well as do those things. And I'd argue far too often we get bored or tired of the Sunday gathering because we take a consumer mindset to it. And if I, for example, if, I, if this person's going to be at church, um, it's going to make me feel uncomfortable, I don't want, I don't, I don't want to go. If, this, if the worship isn't good, we sing too many hymns or we sing too many upbeat songs, I'm, I'm going to go somewhere else to find my own preferences, thank you very much. Or if the preacher isn't wearing skinny jeans or is going to tell me something I want to hear, I'm going to go find something else, thank you very much. We see the words Sunday service. And yeah, we think we're here to get served. And to some degree, we do get served. Coffee gets served to us. We have, um, we have music that gets served to us. But we overemphasize the word service. What if we all came to the Sunday gathering, not for ourselves, but for the glorification of Christ and the building up of his people? What if we came to the Sunday gathering for the glorification of Christ 
and the uplifting and the building up of his people. We're not here to consume. We're not here to get our ears tickled. Far from that. We're here to gather. We're here to grow and then go back out on mission. Now, there's something else we also do in our corporate gatherings, but I haven't mentioned that yet, and it comes to our second point. One of the means that God has given us to actively participate and belong to his body is, is through the sacraments. Now, the sacraments is, if you don't know what that is, that, we, we, that is communion and baptism. And we regularly partake in the sacraments here. If you're fairly new to Christianity or if you've been a Christian uh, your whole life, you never know what the word means. It's, just, it's, just sound, it's really easy to f- think that it sounds like mere rituals or ceremonies and stuff. But the word sacrament comes from the Latin word, uh, root word holy or consecrate. And the Westminster Confession of Faith refers to sacraments as the signs and seals of the covenant of grace. Now, that just sounds like fluffy religious talk, what, what, what does that even mean? Well, that means that the communion and baptism are signs and seals. Signs meaning um, an outward sign of an inward reality. And the word seal referring to, the, uh, to a mark to show the world that we belong to King Jesus, much like a wax stamp so that seals a letter proves ownership. That is what communion and baptism is for. That they are signs and seals of the covenant that we have with God through His grace. And we, are, we gather around communion because Christ actually told us to. Christ told us to before His death and His sacrifice for us to, to, to gather, to remember Him, to gather around Him. And like Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, 26, it says this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I don't think Jesus is back yet. So that, that's why we still do communion. And we do it regularly here. And I love the way that we do communion here. Communion is not just simply a tack on at the end of the service, uh, right after the, uh, the gathering. There is nothing magical about the juice or, or, or the crackers or the, or the bread that we have. But it is there because we want to be gospel people shaped by the gospel story. And we use communion as a way of conveying that to our souls. We're gospel people who want to be shaped by the gospel story. And there's a reason why we get you to break the bread, as, as awkward as it sometimes may be. I get it. Like, I get to communion I'm like, uh, sometimes. I'm like, how do, I, how do I break this bread? And it's it's, it's kind of awkward, right? Let's be real here. But there's a reason why we do that. The reason why we do that is because it reminds us that we're the ones that physically broke Jesus. He was on that tree because of our sin. Our sin held him there. It's to remind us that our sin broke Jesus. There's a reason why we do it every week, to remind us constantly of that gospel message, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. In communion, we relearn that, yes, the gospel has redeemed us individually, but when we do it together, we relearn that God has redeemed us corporately, that we are all joined together by the same blood. We are all, all in the same body. And similarly, we partake in baptism because we show that we are united in Christ in his death and resurrection. And although you only get baptized once, you might be wondering why we encourage people to go to people's baptisms. Is it, yeah, we're there to yeah, obviously experience the joy of the person who is getting baptized, for sure. But we encourage people to go to baptisms, to witness baptisms. Because, why? 
because we get reminded of our own baptism. We get reminded that Jesus, we, we, remind, we get reminded to return to our first love and what it was like to be first put to death, it was put our flesh to death and to be raised with him. And we get to be reminded that we share in the one baptism, that we all have the one testimony, that we are saved by the one person that who can only save. You could see it as God using kinesthetic learning techniques to reinforce the gospel story. The sacraments are God's grace to remind us through our physical senses. We want to be absolutely saturated by the gospel in, in this church, spiritually and physically. And it is for our good and our joy that God has chosen to disciple us in this way as a community. So, so far we've seen that we belong to God's body through and participated through the corporate gathering and the sacraments. But the third strand we talked about that intertwines with all this stuff is something called fellowship. Now, I don't know what you think about the word fellowship, but I always thought it was kind of Christianese for the word friendship, right? But if you read through Scripture, you see it, friendship is just a very simplistic and reductionistic way of, of seeing what fellowship really is. It's no less than friendship, it's, but it's, it's so much more than friendship. It's so much more than that. Here it's said like this can be done, fellowship is done in three other subject groups, but it is not, I repeat, not limited to that. The distinguishing fellowship, the mark of fellowship, is the love that we have for another. One of the well-worn verses that we, we run here at Siddhartha is John 13, 34 to 35. It says this, Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the biggest apologetic that we have for the power of the gospel. We can talk to people about God's love, but when non-believers see it, when they see it in action, it speaks to the volumes as to the gospel's impact and authenticity. The problem is that it sounds super nice. And in one sense, it is simple. Yes, it is absolutely simple that we should love one another as Jesus has loved us, right? But conversely, it is extremely hard to do. Yes, we are to love each other with the Christ that, love, that, God has, that Christ has shown us, but have you actually counted what that love actually looks like? Have you counted the cost of that? I don't know how, if you've grasped how wide, how long, how high, how deep the love of Christ is. The love of Christ that compelled him to get off his throne, to leave perfect, self-sufficient relationship he had with his father, to die for a people that rejected him, to give them his righteousness while he suffered the holy, just wrath of God. That love is the kind of love that we need to have for each other. That love is otherworldly. 
It's the kind of love that looks practically like this, that it puts, on, that it puts your life on the line when it says that I'm going to die, for my, die to myself and put your needs before mine. It's a, it's a love that compels us to willingly give up our luxuries and even our wants for our fellow believers, fellow believers for, to afford food or rent. It, it's a love that bears all burdens for, of another believer at 3 a.m. in the morning when they're going through a crisis. It's a love like in Ephesians 5, it says that it enables us to submit to each other out of a reference of Christ. It's a love like in 1 Corinthians 13 that is, that is patient, that is kind. It does not envy it or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It rejoices with love. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. This is the mark of true fellowship. And it is compounded by the fact that the people we are commanded to love in church are sinful people. These people will rob you the wrong way. Surprise! Sometimes these people will irritate you. I'm just being real. Sometimes these people will irritate you. And at, te- at times they will test your patience. And they will inevitably sin against you. And you might be thinking, God wants me to participate in that? I don't want to have to deal with that. I don't want to deal with people sinning against me. I don't want to, I don't want to participate, participate in that. That sounds too hard. That sounds like too much time or too much commitment, too much money, too much energy. It doesn't sound very encouraging at all. You're not selling this community thing. You're not selling this fellowship really well, Tran. But it is through, through the fellowship in the body of Christ that we get to show off to the world the reconciling power of the gospel. And it wouldn't just be you dealing with people's sin it would mean people would have to deal with your sin too. It's so easy to want fellowship and to be with people similar to us, right? Can you imagine a church if it was just made of 150 people, or in this case, 50, 60 people, just like myself? 56, 50, 60 Andrew Trans? You might be thinking, that might be, that's awesome, bro. That's, that's, that's sick. That'd be awesome. But if I'm honest with myself, that sounds great initially, but that would actually suck. That would actually really suck. And this is where the other distinguishing feature of fellowship comes in. Fellowship that is marked by sanctification, a growing in holiness. Because if I had 50 or 60 other Andrew Trans here, everyone around me will be like me, and I'll have a bunch of yes-men no, not push me towards holiness, but pander to my pride, to my sin, and to my ego. Like it says in Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. What happens when iron contacts another iron? Shar- shar- sparks fly. There's heat. There's friction. When the fabric of our lives rub up against each other, it should naturally cause some friction. Sooner or later, in fellowship and community with people in church, there is going to be sin and conflict. This is bound to happen, and it should not surprise us. Obviously, we don't like sin, and we don't like hurt and pain that it causes, but that's not the goal here. But it is by God's great grace that He's given us each other that we may grow and be sanctified by each other. And it may mean in the crucible 
of fellowship, you may need to be rebuked. And likewise, for the sake of the holiness of others, you may need to gently correct others in their sin. And this can be extremely tricky. But it is one of the ways that God has given us to grow in our Christ-likeness as a family of believers. I can say that in last year, in 2018, I've had a, a few conversations of people, people rebuking me and correcting me, and, and some of them involve tears. Like everyone thinks that like if you're around a candidate and you're up here preaching that you must have a you have must have a moral upright standing, right? And yeah, we work towards righteousness, but I'm I'm in need of that too. I'm still a mess, and I need God's sanctifying work through his spirit and through his people. Sanctification through fellowship doesn't just stop at our outward sinward behaviors though. It even pushes back on our inward preferences, on the people we want to do life with. If the gospel has truly brought down the dividing wall of hostility between all peoples, then our fellowship must look, begin to look like it is full of different people, not just in terms of personality, but age, race, culture, socioeconomics. We saw this in Acts 2 several weeks back when the 3,000 believed at Pentecost and all from different lands and all different people and they had one thing in common and that said here, it's, and that was just their, their faith in Jesus Christ. It's interesting that the, the text actually says that they had all things in common even though it was just one thing because the most important thing for them was Jesus. We should have fellowship that yearns to be diverse and full of different people because the gospel is saving all kinds of people. Not simply because we don't want to be just diverse because it's cool and socially progressive to be diverse and multicultural. <coughs> Sorry. We don't want to be socially progressive in that, just, just, just to go in with the times, but we see in Scripture that the gospel has the power to transcend all barriers, and that in the end of time, people from every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue will bow down in joyful worship of Jesus. As we partake in the coming of the kingdom like this, this kind of diverse fellowship is sanctifying for our souls because, again, it pushes back, pushes back against our natural proclivities, our preferences. And David Mathis in his book, Habits of Grace, puts it this way regarding fellowship. God has given us each other in the church, not just for company or co-belligerency, not just to chase away loneliness or lethargy, but to be to each other an indispensable means of his divine favor. We are for each other an essential element of the good work God has begun to do in us and promises to bring in completion. Such is true fellowship. Now, before I close, I want to just address a few things about the corporate gathering, participating, and, and belonging here. Some of us will really struggle with what I'm saying here today. I totally understand that. People, I don't know, if you've had a poor experience of church, you've been previously hurt before, I don't want to ever discount, ever, ever, ever want to discount what you've been through. 
Some of us have been hurt enormously by people who call themselves Christians, and some of us have been wounded so deeply by those who are actually Christians. And we don't want to go in two feet first in participating in the life of the church. I understand that. I understand that anxiety. And I want to encourage you, though, that by letting you know that God knows that his church is full of flawed people. He knows that. He knows that his church is full of flawed people. And that includes both you and me. But I think it's by design, and I'm argued that it's to God's glory, that he would use imperfect people to, as a means to grow us into the perfection of Christ. It seems so countercultural, and yet the church has continued to grow in the last 2,000 years. I plead with you to consider what we clearly see in Scripture, that we have been reconciled both to God but also to each other. For his sake, for his glory and our joy, ultimately. And I also just want to address those who have persisted in this particular community. And when I say persisted, I've had a couple of conversations with some of us and some of you, this I've heard secondhand as well, but you've been here for like several months and you don't know what's going on. You feel like a lack of connection. You may not feel like you have really deep connections here. You, you see each other on a sun, us here on a Sunday, but you just don't feel just quite there yet. And I just want to thank you for your persistence with us. I want to encourage you to keep being patient as we are all in process, right? We're all in process. Especially those who are of you have a natural proclivity to be introverted and that requires a lot of discipline to actually engage with people. But what I've seen is a maturity in you that you want to be a part of something here despite this lack of connection. And what I want to say for all of us that for a community of Christ, for a body of Christ to thrive, we all need to participate in the life of the church. That's for us to do all of these things, to be disciplined to coming to the corporate gathering, to partake in the sacraments, to belong to fellowship and DG. And all these means are, of participating are not hierarchical. They're not a preferential thing. One is not better than the other, but they are all means of God's grace that he's given us to grow our hearts, to renew our minds, to comfort our soul. I want to encourage, encourage us to not assume that people are in here in deep fellowship. Not, not, let's be a community that welcomes people beyond the four weeks that they're here before we see them drop off of the radar. It doesn't mean that we have to be best friends with everyone, and I know it's extremely hard to, to have deep root connections everywhere, but for some of us, it might feel really awkward making these connections. It might feel really uncomfortable. But the gospel brings together all sorts of people. We see this in Scripture. We should expect some discomfort on here on earth, right? You have permission to be awkward. It's okay. Let's be people that challenge ourselves to be uncomfortable with being comfortable for the glory of Christ and the joy of others. And I would say lastly, um, for us here specifically in North Adelaide, um, I would say that we do community fairly well 
I'd like to think so at least, the majority of the time. In fact, many of you are still here because of the, the gospel welcome you've experienced, the hospitality you've experienced, and you've seen genuine community and, and, and have experienced that. And I'm not going to pretend that the last 12 months here at Sidlight North Adelaide has been perfect. It's, not, it's, been without, it's been with its challenges, of, of course, without stable leadership and a few other things as well. And one of the ways that God has, but one of the ways that God has really administered to my soul in the last 12 months is seeing his people here. Seeing his people here love each other and continue to grow even through the hardships because the gospel is center here. We as Sidlite Adelaide um, have not disregarded the, the gathering of the saints and it's a credit to, I think, I would say I love the, the, it's credit to God's work in you. And that's, that's, really, that's really encouraging to see. But I want to also encourage us to not become complacent. Not become complacent because, um, and especially I want to encourage us that, uh, we, to not gather for ourselves, to not think about, stop thinking about ourselves, but keep thinking about the glory of Christ and the joy of others before ourselves. And I've come across people or heard stories secondhand that they've come to this place here and unfortunately have not had the same experience you may have had. Hear stories of people walking in into the community and not being connected in or just they feel lonely and disconnected and just, just leave, not even talk to. And this breaks my heart. It, it really does. Because for the vast majority of us, we experience God's love we experience God's love in, in, in ways we cannot even express through his people here. And I would love that everyone who comes into this building and comes into this church, into this community, not, not to be about us, but to see the hands and feet of Jesus. Can we do that? We need everyone to be a part of this. We need the body of Christ. And there's no such thing as a wasted body part in the body of Christ no matter how big or small your role is. When we consider who Jesus is, the discipline of belonging and participating in the body will shape us and to reflect his image more clearly for all of the world to see. And my hope and prayer for you in 2019 is that every single one of us takes ownership of this. That we don't simply come to church, but we, the people, are the church, that we don't merely do it for ourselves, but we do it for each other and the glorification of Christ our King. Let's be people that who are just not merely, who, let's be people that who don't just merely love the sense of community, but be a people who are deeply, unequivocally, sacrificially love and participate in the life of this family because Christ has given us his unchanging love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you for uh, who you are. Thank you for Jesus and uh, the gift that he is, that he got off the throne for us, that he died for us, that he would reconcile us to you, but also to each other. Help us to grow in our uh, sacrificial living. Um, help us to be not about ourselves, but to be about you and your people. Let us find joy in being active participants 
in belonging to this community, Lord Father. Help the world see what you are doing here. We cannot do this on your own because we are so sinful without you. We need you to move in our hearts and our minds. Help us to lay down our preferences for the good of others. Help us not to be complacent. We need, we, we need you to do this, Lord Father. We need you to move. Help us to be salt and light, and when people look at us, they see us as a sea on the hill that cannot be hidden. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for Jesus and your spirit. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.